good day to you, whatever the day happens to be that you're listening to this podcast. I am glad to have you along. My name's Sean Barkley. 20 minutes a week, we spend this time together talking about how to live wisely and faithfully in this wonderful and yet sometimes challenging world. And so I hope you'll see this as 20 minutes of spiritual coaching and encouragement from a Christian perspective. I am a mainline Presbyterian minister in the PCUSA, serving a church just outside of Cincinnati, Ohio. So again, I'm glad to have you along. Recently, like a month ago, I had to buy a new car. I guess I need to stop here and say it's not a new car. It's new to me, but someone else had it for about 70,000 miles. My old car finally bit the dust, 219,000 miles. So I, I guess we could all agree I got my money's worth. I could still be driving the old car, though, were it not for my inability to pay attention to the warning lights on the dashboard. And in particular, what caused my car to die was that I allowed it to run hot. And so every once in a while, I would look at the temperature gauge there on the dashboard and see that the car was running hot. And I would pull over and add coolant to the car. So I was driving around Cincinnati with a jug of coolant on the floorboard of the back seat. And so when I noticed it's hot, pull over, put the coolant in, keep on going. Well, finally, the car was running hot almost all the time. And I thought one day I was downtown driving uh, north on I-75. And if you've ever driven that interstate, you know it is incredibly busy just north of Cincinnati. I guess just south of Cincinnati, too. Driving along, looked down, and the car was running hot. And there was nowhere to pull over. And so I thought, I'm just going to try to see if I can just wait this out and make it home. And it wasn't 30 seconds later that I could smell something that smelled like it was burning. And then smoke started billowing from the hood. Have you ever been in that situation? It's horrifying. And so I'm trying to get off of I-75. I'm slowing down. And finally, I make it off I-75, pull over, add a little coolant to the car, and literally chug about five miles per hour on a side road until I make it home. And when I made it home, I didn't stop at the house. I went straight to the car dealership and parked the old car there. It was a huge mistake on my part. All I had to do over the course of several months was not only just add coolant to the car, just take it and have a mechanic look at it and have it repaired. I could still be driving that old car. Instead, I had to go out and buy a new car. I was thinking about that this week because in some ways that could be the story of your life and mine. On the outside of our lives, everything's good. We look good. We seem to be acting properly. We're doing the right things. We are showing up in the right places. But on the inside, underneath the hood, there is a fire that is burning us down from within. How do we deal with that? I want to give you two words today, or maybe three, but let's say three words. Is the word I'm one word or two words? I know it's not. Anyway, three words. I am sorry. And we're going to think about how using the words I am sorry can lead to taking care of what's under the hood. Extinguishing or dealing with that fire that is burning within that wants to do us great harm. You see, here's my bias. I believe that God created each of us and wants each of us to live lives that are blessed, redeemed, and empowered so that in our tiny little corner of the world, we can partner with God in what God is doing. 
You see, we know that God is about doing what people who follow Jesus call kingdom work, bringing what is true up in heaven down to earth, doing God's kingdom work. And what I believe is that this blessed and redeemed and empowered life can begin right now. It's not something we have to wait on. You and I can deal with whatever it is that's under the hood, whatever it is that's slowing us down, whatever it is that wants to literally break us down on the side of the road, we can deal with it now and begin living that, God, that life that God wants us to live. There's a great story from the Old Testament. So if you're not familiar with the Bible, there's a New Testament and an Old Testament. The Old Testament is the story of the life and times of God's interaction with a certain group of people called the Hebrews, the Israelites. The New Testament includes the story of Jesus and the life and times of the early church. And so in the Old Testament, there's this wonderful story about a man named Moses. He was one of the central figures in all of God's interaction with his people in Old Testament times. Moses was 80 years old, and he thought his best days were behind him. If you read the story in Exodus, Moses had committed murder. He was on the run. He was literally in God's witness protection program, living out in the wilderness. And yet Moses became that one person at age 80 who was the central figure in the Old Testament, leading the people of God out of slavery in Egypt into the land that God had promised them, if you follow the Old Testament story. And I love how the story of God's interaction with Moses, calling Moses to go and do this work, begins. It begins with two simple words. One day. Isn't that beautiful? Just one day. One day, seemingly out of the blue, it all began for Moses. And what I want you to understand, and what I have tried to convince myself of over the years, is that maybe today could be that one day in your life. And the words that can, could, be, could be the beginning of that one day are the words, I am sorry. I mean, even as I say, I'm sorry, I'm thinking about that old song, Elton John, sorry seems to be the hardest word. It is a hard word, isn't it? The reason it is a hard word is that you and I tend to keep our flaws, our mistakes, what would be called sin, a sin in our life, a brokenness in our life. That's what it would be called in the biblical language of those who follow Jesus. We keep our sins deeply hidden underneath the hood from ourselves, from God, and from each other. It is something that we all do. There's a crazy story in the New Testament about two people, and it's a story I've preached a lot of sermons in my life. It is a story I have never preached a sermon on because it's a tough one. It's about two people named Ananias and Sapphira. They're a married couple. And in the early church, if you're not familiar, there was a time when the people in the church were very, very poor, these early followers of Christ. And so individuals would sell their own goods and bring the proceeds of that sale back to the church. And they would share and support one another with the sale of these goods, with all this money that was being generated. So there were these two people, Ananias and Sapphira, who were a part of that early Christian community. They had a field and had some value. And so they said to the church, we're going to sell the field and we're going to give the church all the money. And so that's what they wanted to do. However, when they sold the field and they brought the money to the church, they withheld some of it. They did so in a kind of a sneaky and deceitful way because they were saying to the church, hey, here's, all, here's everything. You can have it all because they wanted to be celebrated. They wanted to be 
um, looked at as great pillars of that early church. They wanted people to talk about how generous and good and kind they were. They wanted to appear a certain way in the eyes of the other people. However, deep within them, they had a little bit of greed, perhaps, or they were highly interested in preserving themselves, which is human nature. And so they basically committed fraud. They wanted to look a certain way on the outside. They were different on the inside. And so they have an encounter with a guy named Peter. He's one of the leaders of that early church. And the husband first says, hey, here's all the money. Peter said, did you give us all the money from the sale or just part of the money? And, and Ananias, the husband, says, I gave, you, I gave it all to you. And literally, he dropped dead. Now, I know it sounds crazy, but that's what the text said. He dropped dead. And then three hours later, later his wife comes along. Peter says, uh, hey, appreciate the money. Was that all the money from the sale of the, the land? And she says, it certainly was. We gave you every penny of it. She dropped dead. And so I know it's just that is a, a, a wild story, and I know it's, it's hard to grasp, but I think what's being communicated here is the, serious of being this, the seriousness of being deceitful, of being disobedient. I mean, it reminds me of kind of that very, very first sin that is talked about in the Bible. The first human beings, they disobeyed God. They had something in their lives, and they hid from God. And that's what Ananias and Sapphira were, were doing. They had some, some greed in their lives, and they were trying to hide that. And so if you've never heard that story before, you've got to wonder, now, why is that story in the Bible? I mean, and I've wondered the same thing. I, here's the way I... Uh, Answer that, well, it happened. But then you might say, well, yeah, there are lots of things that, that were happening in biblical times that were not included in the Bible. And it's true. I mean, if, if we're trying to draw more people into a relationship with God, draw more people into Christian community, the story of Ananias seems pretty counterproductive, doesn't it? Um, although maybe it's something I could use during stewardship to get people to really, really give. Of course, I would never do that. But I think it's in the Bible for this reason. It dramatically illustrates the consequences of hiding from God, not being honest with God, and not being honest with ourselves, and not being honest with the people around us. And when we are honest with God, and honest with ourselves, and honest with the people around us, it opens us to God's grace. No longer do you and I have to justify ourselves. We don't have to try to save ourselves by doing good deeds. We don't have to worry about all that stuff. I remember some time ago, someone said to me, I, we were out on a Friday night having a little dinner and talking about whether or not this person was going to go to church. And they said, I'm not going to church because I am not good enough to go to church. I am not worthy to attend church. Have you ever felt that way or had that moment? where you think, I'm just not worthy, I'm not good enough. Um, the truth is, we are a community. The Christian community is a community of unworthy people. I know, I'm a pastor, I see it every day, and I also look in the mirror every day. This community of unworthy people, though, we worship the one who is worthy, worthy of our praise, and God, in turn, gives us worth in His eyes and calls us to live this life of partnering with God in doing God's kingdom work, and also enjoying that life of being blessed and redeemed and empowered that God wants us to live. And so I want to talk with you right now about how this could be your one day by simply saying, sorry, I'm sorry. 
How do you do that? This is going to sound very familiar to you if you're familiar with the 12-step programs about related to recovery. The first thing I think we do as we begin the process of saying I'm sorry and opening ourselves to God's grace and God's empowerment is we take a personal inventory. We, we're honest with ourselves about our flaws, our mistakes, our sins. We take a good, long, hard look in the mirror. Some time ago, I received some executive coaching, and, and I really enjoyed it. In fact, I, I see myself in that role more and more, and certainly in that role more than the role of a counselor. And I'm seeing that many of my Sunday sermons are start, starting to feel like, yes, the gospel is being proclaimed, but this is also coaching and encouraging. And so I remember talking with this coach, and he said, think about three or four defining moments in your life. Have you ever done that? Three or four defining moments in your life. In doing so, that helps us understand ourselves because those moments have been defining. They've shaped who we are. Some of those moments are good. Others are, are not so good. Have you ever done that? Have you ever taken the time to know yourself? And so right now, think about that. As you look at those defining moments, is there a mistake, an error, a bad move, maybe even a moment of disgrace that you've not dealt with? that you are keeping underneath the hood. You see, we are good at hiding from God, hiding from others, and even hiding from ourselves. There's a story on the radio this week really caught my attention about Uber Eats. So you know what Uber Eats are. Uber, that's, you know, that delivers people. Uber, Lyft, like a modern-day taxi service. Uber Eats doesn't deliver people, it delivers food. And so where I'm sitting right now in my office, if I was in the mood for some Skyline Chili, which in Cincinnati is one of our local delicacies, I could call Uber Eats and have someone deliver Skyline Chili Dogs right here to my office. So drivers who work for Uber Eats were surveyed, and they were surveyed anonymously, and they were asked this question, have you ever taken a bite of food off the tray you are delivering to someone else? <laughs> I love that question. I mean, because you know how hard that is. If you've ever been in the car and you're picking up some food to take to someone and you smell those french fries and it's everything you can do not to grab one of them. Well, so these Uber Eats drivers were asked that very question. Guess what percentage of them said, I have in fact taken some food? 28%. Over a fourth of all the drivers say, I've done it. I was asking my son about that the other night. He was a pizza delivery guy at a younger point in his life. And I said, did you ever, when delivering pizza, grab a piece of pizza and try to rearrange the pie so that the recipient wouldn't know? And he said no, which made me proud. I said, did you ever reach into a box of pizza and grab a little piece of pepperoni and put it in your mouth. And he said, no comment, <laughs> which I think says it all, doesn't it? What these Uber Eats drivers do is they take what they've done on that tray and they try to make it look like nothing's happened. And we do that in our own lives just in general, try to cover it up. There's a wonderful psalm that says, 
You have searched me, O God, and you know my heart. And I think that's part of what we're called to do. God has searched us. God knows us. We search ourselves daily. Reflect on the day. Where was I unkind? Where was I untruthful? Where was there some bitterness? Where did I lack grace? Where was I jealous, anxious, undisciplined? In the church I serve, we have a, a, a woman who attends regularly. She was recently named a woman of influence in Cincinnati by Venue Magazine. And in the article, she's quoted as saying, I love to see other people overcome obstacles and achieve. Isn't that great? One of the truths in that is that in order to overcome obstacles, that person first has to recognize the obstacle and name it. And one of the barriers in doing this is thinking that we don't need to say, I'm sorry, that we don't have any obstacles. But to quote the New Testament, one of the writers who knew Jesus well had this to say, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Step number one in learning to say that beautiful word, sorry, or those beautiful words, I'm sorry, that can begin that process of living that blessed, redeemed, and empowered life, we got to take an inventory. we got to do that three or four things that have defined me, and then every day take an inventory of how we lived. And then the next step is we say, I'm sorry to God. If we believe that there is a God who knows us, who has searched our hearts, we spend some time just telling God the truth about who we are. In the church I serve, we have a weekly confession. In fact, the church I serve, we have uh, prayers that follow kind of a basic outline. We have a prayer of adoration. We adore God for who God is. Then we confess our sins to God. We give God our thanks. And then we pray for other people. We call that a prayer of supplication. A-C-T-S. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Uh, God invites us to, to bring all of our sins to him and all of our flaws to him you know if we have this issue like i had with my little old car with 219,000 miles where it's running hot and it's burning up and it's not going to last unless something happens we take that issue to god that is creating that heat in our lives whatever it happens to be and we just say god i am sorry you see the second half of what that guy that knew jesus well had to say was but if we confess our sins to God, he is faithful and just and will cleanse us of all unrighteousness. You see that couple that Ananias and Sapphira, they failed to recognize that because of the sacrifice of Christ, they could approach the throne of grace with confidence. They failed to realize that we all live by the grace of God. They don't have to put on airs. They don't have to convince anyone that they are anything that they're not. God wants us to be real with him, and then we enter into a deeper relationship. And then there's one more step, and that is we admit our sin to another person. We admit our wrong to the person we wronged, and we attempt to make it right. In the New Testament, there's this great story about a guy who was a tax collector. He had spent his life defrauding people. He had an encounter with Christ, encountered the grace of Jesus and the forgiveness and this new life and the spiritual empowerment. And the first thing he said is, hey, if I've defrauded anyone, I'm going to pay them back four times. That's what he wanted to do. That's what saying I'm sorry compels us to do. So we've taken our inventory of ourself. We've admitted who we are to God because God already knows it and God wants to have a real relationship with you and me. And then we say, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to apologize to this other person and I'm going to attempt to make it right. If you've ever been in a 12-step program or are familiar with it, 
This is all sounding familiar to you, like I said earlier. Because step number five in a 12-step recovery, let's say it's Alcoholics Anonymous, is to admit our wrongs to another person. So we admit it. But then comes the hard step, and that's number nine. We make direct amends unless doing so would cause greater harm. And so you might be thinking, this sounds like just kind of a, a talk about AA. Uh, and the truth is, AA is not incompatible with faith. I mean, the, the 12-step programs, I think they're, they draw from what we know about God and human, human nature from the Bible. I mean, faith is not the enemy of psychology. It's not the enemy of sociology or any of these ologies out there. Science, it's not. I mean, it confirms, faith confirms, biblical truth confirms what we know to be true from these other disciplines. Ananias and Sapphira, those, those knuckleheads, they could, have, they could have just admitted their wrong and given what was withheld. There was no rule or law in the early church that said you got to sell everything and give it to the church. It was voluntary. God wants us to grow. So maybe there's a relationship you're thinking about right now that needs to be healed. And the barrier, in my mind, is, is pretty simple. It's hard. And we might not want to do it. It might be just easier just to move on. you got to have that want to in order to make amends. But in doing so, we find ourselves living in God's grace. Biblical faith says that, our power, that God's power is made perfect in our weakness. And that flies in the face of what a lot of us think about the Bible and a lot of us think about Christians and Christianity. We, we think that we are powerful within ourselves or people outside the Christian community say, you know, these people think that they've got all this stuff figured out and they're all powerful. The truth is God's power is literally perfected in our weakness. And, and here's how I like to think about it. And we're about done here. There's a, a term called compensation, which means that uh, when we have a certain weakness, we compensate for that and become stronger in another way or another area. Perfect example is professional football is about to start. There's an NFL player who at age four, because of a birth issue he had, had his left hand amputated. His name is Shaquem Griffin. He went to the University of Central Florida, was drafted by the Seattle Seahawks. He is playing in the NFL. He has one hand. Can you imagine? He's an uber elite athlete. What he did was, because he did not have a left hand, he developed other parts of his game. He developed his speed, his agility, his instincts. And the truth is, he probably developed those to a greater degree than he would have had he not lost his left hand. He compensated for that. God says to us, if you will admit to me where you are weak and where you need my help and where you need my ministry, if you'll do that, then in turn, I will give you this power. <laughs> I will give you this blessed life. You can live redeemed and filled with joy. I hope you have a terrific week as we do every week. One of my favorite songs, The Wallflowers, is going to take us home. Have a great one. I'll talk with you next week.